Good morning. If you would like to go ahead and take your Bibles out and open them up to the book of Matthew. Just a moment, we'll be reading from there in the book of Matthew. And while you're doing that, I'd like to take this moment to say how thankful I am that we can all be gathered together here to sing these songs of praise and worship our God. He truly is worthy uh, of that honor and of that glory, and it is a blessing to us. And, and, as, uh, and as Ronnie mentioned during his talk on the giving, that it is a blessing to us that we are able to, to give that praise to Him uh, he, he, he profits from that. He enjoys that, that we, that we praise God. But it is a blessing to us that we are able to join one another in that and that we gain so much from being here and, and spending this time praising God and giving Him what is rightfully His. If you are visiting with us here this morning, I'd like to also extend the invitation, or the, uh, excuse me, the welcome to you that's already been given. It is truly a great, a great honor for us to have you here with us and we we uh, pray that as, as you spend this time here with us that you will consider joining with us again and know that anything that we say and we do here this morning is done uh, to the best of our ability in accordance to God's Word. And if there's something that you hear uh, or that you see that you have a question about, we would encourage you please to talk with us about that afterwards and we'd be happy to discuss that. In Matthew chapter 2, we read an account that has become synonymous with Christmas. In Matthew chapter 2, we read and, and already discussed some at the Lord's, uh, uh, or prior to the giving, uh, the wise men from the east. If we read that together, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced and with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Many the world over are celebrating this holiday season celebrating with thank thankfulness and with thanksgiving and giving gifts and receiving. And, and for so many, this is a, a joyous time to be with families, to experience, the, to experience the ability to give joy to others. And for many, it is a time to celebrate the birth of Christ. Now, as we, as we look through the Scriptures, certainly we don't see any commands that, that dictate that that is something we are to do, to observe this holiday. We don't find that in the Bible. And there may be even less evidence in the Bible that Christ was actually born uh, during this, this winter season. 
But I want you to consider a verse that we do have in the Bible. First, uh, in, in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, there we are told, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, I can't think of many, many more things that are more noble, more true, more pure and lovely than the coming of our Savior, the coming of Emmanuel, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. And so I believe that this time, along with any time, is a, a profitable time to meditate upon the birth of Christ. And now as this is celebrated, during this time, there is one thing that we often see viewed around town. You can drive around and see them in, in front yards. You can sometimes see them in, in the, beside a, a, a church building. You can see them in department store windows. You will look around and you will see these nativity scenes, oftentimes depicting the birth of Christ. And in this scene, they will have set up usually the, the baby Jesus lying in a manger. And around him, his family, you will often see Mary and, and Joseph. And sometimes you'll see some animals, maybe, maybe lambs and, and, and donkeys or, or camels. You will see some usually some... Uh, something to depict the, the idea of the stable and the manger. And then you'll see some other characters, oftentimes some shepherds. And then oftentimes you will th see three wise men. And that's kind of where I want to pause and, and consider this afternoon, or excuse me, this morning. What is it that we learn and what is recorded for us in Scripture about these wise men? I implied in these nativity scenes is that there were, were wise men, three in number, who visited Jesus while he was in the manger. But maybe we should ask some questions about that. What does the Bible really teach? In the book of Matthew, that is where this, this account has, has been recorded and, and is going to serve as, as the main text for our study this morning. And in that story, there are some valuable lessons learned from these wise men. Lessons that are, one, interesting but lessons that are also very practical and have a great value to the life of a Christian. So having read the text, let's, let's first note some interesting features of, of this story. And to begin, I want to look at what Matthew doesn't record for us. These are some things that Matthew just doesn't tell us. One, uh, and, and, and has among many questions that have sometimes arisen out of this account, is who are these wise men? Who exactly were these, these magi from the east, as the New American Standard calls them? And I want to begin by saying questions such as this, uh, and, and many other questions, they, they are good questions. There is, there is no reason to, to, if you have a question like this, to think, well, that, that's, a, that's a silly question, that's a stupid question. These are good questions for us to ask. I was, I was called upon the other day um, by, by someone very close to me, and they, they had a question, said, what happened to Mary Magdalene? I've been reading my Bible, and, and I, I read about her at the end of, of the Gospels. Uh, she seems to be with the apostles, but then we get to Acts, and we never hear about Mary Magdalene again. What happened to her? He said, I, I know this must be a stupid question. No, that's not a stupid question. I hadn't thought about that. What did happen to her? And the thing is, with the answer to that question, and the answer to many of the questions that we're going to see here that is, is the fact that the, the Gospels just don't tell us. The Bible hasn't went into detail on these things. The truth is the, 
questions, while interesting and, and even fun to surmise what the answers to those questions may be, we have to be content with the fact that the Bible just doesn't answer many of these questions. So we don't know who these wise men were. Some do think that maybe they were a group of priests that came from Persia. Others say, no, they were astrologers that came from Babylon. But the fact is, we just don't know. How many of them were there? The, the typical number given so oftentimes is three. But the truth is, as we read the scriptures, there was no number given. The only thing that we can know for certain is that there was more than one. They were wise men. There was a plurality of them. And the fact that there were three gifts given in verse 11, there was gold and frankincense and myrrh. Oftentimes it's used to, to say, well, there was three. But the truth is we don't, we don't really know. The quality, quantity of gifts, that doesn't necessarily imply the quantity of givers. Another question that comes up sometimes is, well, what was the nature of that star? You know, was it, was it actually a star? Was it, maybe it wasn't a star. Maybe it was a planet. Some have said, you know, Jupiter. Jupiter is always kind of tied with the birth of a king. That's, that's a, that, as you go back through history, that was a common uh, belief. And so maybe there was the planet Jupiter. And others have said, well, 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 no, I think maybe it was Jupiter and it was Saturn. And they, they came together and kind of formed this, this fish symbol. Maybe that's what it was. Others said, no, I think actually it was probably a common. Again, the, the truth is, we, we, Matthew just doesn't tell us anything more about that. Or what about the wise men? How did they know? How did they know the star and the connection between the star and the birth of the Christ? Did, did someone, uh, maybe the Jews of the dispersion, you know, the Jews didn't just live in, in Jerusalem. They had been spread out throughout the land because of, of the, the, the different captivities, and, the, and they had been dispersed around. And maybe some of these Jews had taught them uh, something associated to this, or maybe, maybe God had given them a special revelation just for them that you're going to you know, see this star, and this is what it's going to mean. Again, these are things that Matthew just doesn't tell us. We don't know the questions. They are interesting, to say the least. And it is fun to speculate upon these things and to think about, well, maybe this is the answer. Maybe that is. But speculation is all that can be given to answer these questions. But I bring this up because while speculation can be fun and speculation can be harmless, we need to be careful from these speculations because many legends have arisen from just that. One of those legends is these, these three men, or the, these wise men, were three kings from the Orient. They had names, Melchior, Balthazar, and Caspar. This, again, are, are things that, that have arisen and many people hold to be true. They visited the baby Jesus the night of his birth with the shepherds. Again, as we read in, 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 a, in, the, in the account that it's likely that they didn't visit him while he was in the stable. It says in chapter 2, verse 1, that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, two uh, wise men excuse me, from the east came to Jerusalem. And if you'll notice in verse 7, when they come to Herod, Herod is trying to determine from them when the star had appeared. He, he pulls them aside secretly and says, tell me now more about this star. When did that star appear to you? And then in verse 16... If we would read a little bit past where we ended, after the, after the wise men had went back a different way and Herod realized he had been tricked, he sends out a decree to have all of the children two years of age and younger to be put to death. Now, we, can, we don't have to do a whole lot of, of connecting the dots here to see that that star must have been in the sky for a while. 
If, if Herod had called them and said, how long have you been following the star? I want to I find the Christ. I want to worship him. And then when he realized he's been deceived, he could have said, well, well let's, you know what? Just go out and kill all the one-month-olds and below. Or maybe just to be a little bit safer, let's kill all the six-month-olds and below. But he put out a decree, kill all the two-year-olds and below. It's likely that the, that the wise men visited Jesus much later in his life. Not, not at the night of his birth, but months and maybe even a year had passed in the, since the time of his birth. And we also understand that they did not visit him in the stable. He was not in the stable lying in the manger. For verse 11 says that when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. And we also have another legend that has come from this, is that later on in their lives, that these three men were baptized by the Apostle Thomas. The facts of the Bible record and, and say very, very little about who these men were. And the facts of the Bible record very, very little about the, the, the lives that they lived afterwards, the lives that the, came before them. And I believe there is a reason for that. I believe it is, it is easy for us to get caught up in the things that we don't know. It is easy for us to get caught up in the things that we want to make speculations on and we want to know more about. But the whole purpose of the recording here in Matthew chapter 2 is not to tell us about the wise men. Because the emphasis was made in verse 2. They came to, to Jerusalem and they were saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. And then in verse 11, when they had come into the house and they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. The purpose of Matthew chapter 2 is not to introduce these three characters that we would go on to, to attribute uh, so much folklore to. It was used to attribute men from the East who were very wise because they recognized what Christ was. They recognized who the child was, and they came to give him what was rightfully his, worship. It's important because it shows Jesus is worthy of worship, which can only mean that he is truly deity. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. But there are some other lessons that can be learned from the visit of the wise men. Some lessons to be learned include the very most, in my mind, the most obvious lesson is it's easy for fiction to become fact. We've seen what people have done with the story of Jesus' birth. They have taken the account of the wise men and said, oh, this, this must have been three wise men. They have taken it and said, well, he must have visited Jesus in the stable at the night of his birth. And there are other examples of this. We can see other examples in the Scripture of, of taking things that, that are not very specific and making them much more specific. In the, in the Old Testament, in, the, in, the, in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned and they took the forbidden fruit, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of fruit and evil, it is, it is commonly taken today, though that was an apple. And go back there and we can read that and see that it, Scripture doesn't tell us that. And we might look at these things and go, well, wait a minute, are we, are we really, we really going to split hairs over the number of the wise men or the, the exact night that they visited or, or whether or not a fruit is an apple or is it something else? Are we going to split hairs over that? Well, no. No, we're not going to split hairs over that. The truth is there may have been three wise men. We don't know. We just know there was a plurality. And if you think there were three, I'm okay with that. 
And if you think that, that they, the house that they visited him in was, was really a barn, well, I, I disagree with you, but I'm really okay with that too. And if you really want to go out and say, no, it has got to be an apple, if that's what you have to believe, well, it's a fruit. We don't know exactly what it is, and I'm okay with that as well. But the reason I bring this up is because there are some things that I'm not okay with. There are some things that have been taken uh, from fiction and made fact that are scary and are very serious. One of those is a very common thing believed today, uh, a fiction that has been made fact, and that is that it is possible to claim and, and accept Jesus within your heart. It is possible to say that I believe Jesus is the Son of God, and that is all that I need to make me free from sin. But we see that that is not the truth of the Scripture, even though it is commonly held to as fact today. Turn over to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, Peter has been speaking to the men on the day of Pentecost. Jews have come to Jerusalem from all around, gathered together to, to celebrate this day. And, and this is not too long removed from the time of Christ descending back into heaven. And during this time, Peter takes the opportunity to preach this, this message, this gospel message, saying that Christ, this, this child who has come, has now been made by God, the Lord and Savior. He says in verse 36, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Now, when people heard this throughout their lives, throughout the ministry of Jesus, we saw two reactions. Because Jesus made this claim from time to time and, and shown through, through, through miracles and through his teaching that he was one that came with authority, authority from God, and that he had been sent from God. And when people heard that claim, they did one of two things. They believed him and they followed him, or they didn't believe him and they tried to kill him. Those are the two examples that we see in life. And so what do the men here do when they hear this claim? They were cut to the heart. When they heard this, they believed it. They didn't say, Peter, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. Peter, you're just like that guy that we crucified. You don't know what you're talking about. They said, no. They were cut to the heart and they said, what do we do? Men and brethren, what shall we do? So we have example here of men who accept that Jesus is the Christ. They accept that Jesus is the Lord and they believe. And, and fiction tells us today that that is all they needed. Why didn't Peter say, you're good, just don't sin anymore? But that's not what he said. The very next verse, he tells them, when they say, what do we do? He says, repent. He says, turn away from the life that you have been living. You have been serving uh, your, yourselves. You have been serving Satan by, by walking in this path. You repent from that. You turn around and you serve God. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. What this passage tells us is that it is, it is fiction. It is fiction to say that all you have to do is accept Jesus and is to believe, is to say a prayer, and, and that is it. Peter goes on to tell us what to do here. He also tells us over in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21. He talks there, well, actually, we'll start in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, and just for the unjust, uh, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, being made, uh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah. 
while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. So he brings up the account of, of Noah and those who were saved uh, through the water of the flood. And they were saved by their faith, but they were saved through obeying God, and they were saved through the water. In verse 20, 21, he says, There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of filth from the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the Scriptures tell us there is a fact. To be removed of our sins, to be saved, we must be baptized. It is through the water. Now, it is not baptism which does this, this you know, miraculous ability. Just because we get wet doesn't what removes the sins from our lives. It is faith in God. Faith that through baptism, He will take our sins away. Faith that as we submit to Him and that we obey Him and that He is the Son of Christ and His blood is capable of taking our sins away. But obedience to Him and baptism nonetheless is just as important. We also see another example of fiction being turned to fact. Uh, so oftentimes people look at today and say, well, baptism, that's just, that's just sprinkling water, or just pouring a little bit of water on one. But again, let's look to God's Word. Let's see what it says. In Acts chapter 8, we have the account of the Ethiopian eunuch as he traveled along the, the, the road in, in the wilderness, and he's reading from Isaiah, and he, he doesn't understand what he's reading. And Philip comes up and says, do you, you know what you're, what you're reading? Do you understand it? He says, how can I? How can I unless somebody explains it to me? And so Philip goes up and begins to preach to him Jesus. He takes him from Isaiah and, and shows how that is pointing to Christ, to, to Jesus. And then he tells him about the, the truth about Jesus, about who he is, about what he's done. And along the way, as he's talking to him about that, in verse 36, the, the eunuch looks down and says, look, here's water. What's hindering me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And verse 38, so he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now, if, if the scriptures taught baptism was just simply sprinkling some water, or pouring some water, why did they go down into the water? Why didn't Philip just fetch his canteen and go down and scoop up a little bit of water and come back to the chariot? Sprinkle a little bit of water and he's done. In fact, when we look at the word that's used there, he baptized him. That comes from a very specific Greek word that is very different from sprinkling. It comes from the Greek word baptizo, which literally means to dip or to immerse or to overwhelm. And that's why other places in the scripture describe it as a burial. You know, not, not too very long ago, we, we had to, to bury a family pet. And we didn't just sprinkle a little bit of dirt on, on this pet. We... we completely covered him we understand what a burial is and baptism is described the same way and so we can see from the lessons of the wise man we can see that it is very easy for fiction to move out of the realm of fiction and move into a place of non-fiction of fact and of truth and we need to be careful of that we need to be like the bereans in acts chapter 17 in acts 7 acts 17 excuse me, in verse 11, when the apostle Paul spoke to them, they didn't just say, well, we'll just take his word for it. They were looking at the scriptures, what they had. They, they were looking at what he was saying and comparing it to God's word. They were trying to get facts right. We need to be like them. We also learn another thing from, this, uh, from the account of the wise men, and that is true servants of God. They might be in places where we might not expect to find them. The Lord may have Hidden ones, if you will. That is to say, those who are hidden from our knowledge, those that we don't know about, like these wise men. And their history on earth 
these, these wise men, their history is likened to that of those of Melchizedek or, or Job or, or Jethro. We don't know a lot about these people in the Bible. The, the Bible says very little about them. We don't know uh, their, their backstories and we don't know uh, their, what, what happened to them afterwards. But we do know that they were people of God. And so we must not assume. We must not become of the mindset that God's children or God's servants consist only of those that we know about, only of those that are listed in our directories. You know, earlier in the year, we, we had the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to, to spend time overseas. And we went to South Africa. And one of the things that I loved most about that was meeting God's servants. I didn't even know they existed there. In fact, the people, some of the people of the area couldn't believe there could be, be a church in this area. They said, we went to, to, to Brixton, and they said, no, you must have it wrong. That, that's a rough place. We, we don't go to Brixton, and we definitely aren't going to go when it's dark. I said, well, that's, that's where the church is meeting. That's where we want to go. And we, we go there, and we, we find a lovely and wonderful group of God's people that we had no idea about, and had no idea they existed. And there are people around the world that are servants of God that follow Him to His Word and in His truth and in His Spirit. And just because we don't know them, that doesn't mean that God doesn't know them. In 2 Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 2, <clears throat> in verse 19, Paul writes to Timothy, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And so, though unknown to us, maybe another lesson we learn from this, from, from the wise men, that there, there are those that belong to God and that they're trying to serve Him. And we should, be, we should be mindful of that. We should pray for those around the world that serve God even though that we may not know about them. Now, there's another lesson that we learn from this, and this lesson is probably one of the most concerning to me, uh, one of the ones that, that I see the greatest trouble from, and that is it's not always those who have the most religious privileges who give Christ the most honor. Religious privilege does not equate to more honor to Christ. Because one would think, as you think about the account in Matthew chapter 2, you would think that some of the first people who would have been to, going to Bethlehem and worshiping the Christ would have been people like the scribes. People like the, the law keepers, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the people who, who were who are known to be of the Word, and, and they, they know the Word so well, they can tell you all the places that you're getting it wrong in the Word. These people know what the Scriptures say. They had much religious privilege. You would think they would have been the first ones. They would have been, been busting down the doors to get to Bethlehem. But no. What we read is it's a few unknown strangers from a distant land. In fact, John would write in John chapter 1 and verse 11 that Jesus came to His own and His own did not receive Him. And I said this one, this one is greatly concerning to me because sadly, the same is so oftentimes true today. Even those in the Lord's church, they sometimes show less love for Him than, and less adoration for Him than those of the denominations of men. Those who are following after the teachings of, of, of other men, men who, who claim to have loved God, and, and I, I don't doubt that they did, but have, have decided to go and create their own religions based off of His Word. Those who follow in those denominations sometimes have more love, more care, more zeal than those who belong to the Lord. And children of Christian parents, 
You sometimes look at them, we see that the, the, the children seem to be less interested in God and less interested in His Word and showing Him, him praise and honor than children of non-Christians. And so this one certainly concerns me as I see this, this in, the, in this account and I see that it is sometimes reflected in our lives today. But I believe the reason for it, the reason for this to, to be true is because just because we have knowledge in our head, that does not mean that there is grace in our hearts. The chief priests had knowledge. The scribes had knowledge. When Herod, Herod, uh, when Herod asked the question, where's the child to be born? They knew. They had an answer to give him. But as far as we know, they, they did not act on that knowledge. As far as we know, that there, there were some who, who believed in him, and, and maybe there were some that, that did eventually go to Bethlehem, but we also know that there were many who never came to even believe that he was the Son of God. What about us today? We may have knowledge in our head, we may know this. We may have His Word and we know it. We know it is truth. But do we have grace in our hearts? That is to say, do we act upon that which we know? Turn over to Titus chapter 2. Sometimes grace, we, 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 we take grace and, and, and we, we either try to shy away from it because that's, that's, a, that's a topic that I'm not sure I, I want to talk about because I'm not sure how well I understand it. Or, or sometimes we try to make it into something that it's not, and, and, and really really blow it up into, into a, a perverse religion, Titus says very plainly to us a little bit about grace. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, <clears throat> excuse me, Paul, Paul says, uh, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So he tells us right off the bat, grace is something that is available for each and every one of us. There's not a person on this earth that God's grace is not available to, but then in verse 12, he tells us what it does. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. We can have knowledge of God's will, but not be taught by grace. Not be taught to live godly lives. Not to be taught to act upon the knowledge that we have and have it reflect in the lives that we live and show to others. We need to be people, as Peter described in 2 Peter 3, verse 18, people who are growing, who are abounding in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord. Another lesson that we learn from the wise men is the, through the example of their spiritual diligence. I need, we need to stop and consider for just a moment what these wise men did. <clears throat> they traveled a great distance We've already, we've already seen that while we don't know the time frame, they had been following the star for a while. When, when, as, as we saw earlier, when, when Herod found out he was deceived, he said, we're, we're going to kill everyone two and under. They'd been, they'd been on this journey. This wasn't something they just kind of skipped across town to go visit the, the Messiah. And so this travel cost them quite a bit of money. First of all, we see the amount of gifts that they brought. There was there's a great uh, cost right there. But a, a trip like this, to travel this distance, you have to have very, very likely some form of transportation. They, they, they probably 
didn't, didn't walk all this way. And I imagine they had to stay somewhere as, as they traveled, and they probably had to be able to provide for themselves in meals. And, and this is something that takes time, and it takes preparation, and it also takes a lot of risk. As they traveled through the wilderness, uh, making their way from the east, they certainly would have encountered dangers. There would have been the question of, well, as I go to do this, as I go to worship the, the, the Lord, am I going to run into people who might want to rob me, might want to kill me? Might there even be wild animals along the way? There, there was a lot at risk. There was a lot of cost to them this one, on this extended journey. But they were willing to diligently pay that price, to start this trip and to see it through to the end. What about our diligence? Are we willing to pay the price? In Luke chapter 9, Jesus talked a little bit about the price that we should pay. In Luke 9 and verse 23, he says there, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What did he tell them the cost was for following him? One, he said you must deny yourself. That if, if you are going to follow Christ as the Lord and the Savior, then no longer can it be you who is calling the shots. He calls the shots, and you're going to have to submit to Him. You have to deny yourself. You have to humble yourself. And then He tells them to take up their cross and follow Him. Now, that's a, a, a phrase that, that is, we, we sometimes still hear used today. You might hear someone say, oh, that's, well, that over, that's just my cross to bear. That's a cross that I have to, to deal with. And we use that in, in relation to maybe things that aren't going real well at our, at our job. Maybe we have someone there that is, that is, that is mean to us or, or we're, we're dealing with a, a job that causes us possibly to be away from our family or maybe we have some sort of uh, infirmity. Maybe we have a sickness or something. We say, well, that's just the cross that I've been called to bear. But is that what they heard in the first century when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me? They knew what the cross was. Maybe if we put it in, if Jesus lived in our day, he might have said it a little bit different. Maybe he would have said, you take up your electric chair and you follow me. You take up your lethal injection or your noose or whatever way in which men have been, have been executed today and you follow me. Because when they heard him say this, you take up your cross and you follow me, they knew what the cross represented. They knew the cross represented something a lot more serious than just things not really going our way or not feeling the best. Cross represented the end of a life. It was execution. It was death. And that was what they had to bear. That was the cross they had to stand up, uh, to take up. Following Jesus, then, requires total submission to Him. Our will is submitted to Christ. Our lives are submitted to Christ spiritually Absolutely, if need be, physically. And we do so trusting in Him that He's going to take care of us. Maybe, maybe you know, we've heard it said, one guarantee we have in life, you're not going to get out of it alive. But we definitely know that He's going to take care of those who follow Him. So will we pay the price? Will we pay it to find Him? Are we willing to give up our time? Are we willing to give up our, even our money to go to where the, the truth about Christ is being preached? 
If we are looking for Him, are we going to spend time in His Word where we learn about Him? Are we willing to give that up instead of maybe going out with friends or, or, or watching TV or, or going to work? What, are we willing to spend, set some time aside to say, no, this is so I can find Christ and so I can know more about Him? What about serving Him? Are we going to pay the price to serve Christ? No matter what it might cost us. No matter whether we might meet those people along the way who want to do harm to us. Or might look down their nose at us thinking, well, that's just one of those, those silly, ignorant Christians. They don't know what science teaches. Or are we willing to serve Him no matter what it might cost us? And the lesson most seen from these wise men in their spiritual diligence, are we willing to worship Him? That is the reason they came. They came to worship Him because He is worthy of that worship. And they traveled at great cost and great risk to worship Him. And how often today do we see those who, maybe that I'll set aside one or, or two days a year, those days I'll set aside to, to worship Christ. Or maybe we, we look at ourselves and say, you know what? I'll give Him, I'll give him these days, but, but these other days, they're not His. The gospel meetings that's going on, well, you know what? I, I, I just don't have time for that. How many times do we see that? I'll tell you right now, that's, that describes me. That describes me so often. When, when I get a, a flyer in the back that says there's a gospel meeting going on, I say, well, oh, I'd like to go do that, but I've got some other things. That I've got to get the yard mowed, and I've got, I've got some, some stuff with our family that these things have to get done. But what is more important, what is worthy of more attention than the worship of our Lord? The wise men saw that. There's nothing that is going to separate us from the opportunity to go and worship the Lord. We need to make them our examples. We need to look at that and say that He is worthy. That is the idea of worship. Those who are worthy. It is the idea of worship. And we need to show that to God. Well, we pay the, the, uh, the cost for that. And lastly, I want to show that the wise men are examples of great faith. They believed in Christ from afar off, from across great distances, without having seen Him, not, not, not prior to the journey. They, they didn't know who He was. They didn't, they didn't see His miracles. They didn't hear His teaching, see Him raised from the dead. But they believed that He was the Son of God, the Lord. When the scribes and the chief priests, they were unbelieving. They didn't believe that this was the Messiah. But still, these wise men believed. And they came and they fell down and worshipped Him. That is the kind of faith that God loves to honor. In fact, He saw fit to record their faith as an example for, our, for us, for the faith that we should have. And every time this passage is read, every time we, we think about this passage or it is, it is read out loud, their faith is being honored. It is being remembered as the kind of faith that God is looking for in His people. In fact, Jesus would say later, as, as Thomas, when, when he saw the scars, the, the holes in his hand and the, the, the side that had been riven, and Jesus looked at him and he said, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The wise men teach us many great lessons. And I pray the faith and diligence of the wise men will serve to inspire us. It inspires me to want to serve the Lord with greater service. Even though the world around us, the world, they, they don't care. They are careless about this and, and, and they don't believe. But we can't be ashamed 
to believe in Jesus and to confess Him. We have so much more reason than these wise men because we have His miracles recorded for us, His resurrection from the dead, His teachings that was with such great authority and followed the Scripture and fulfilled prophecies and His death on the cross for our sins. We have so much evidence. Are we willing to make the effort to find Him? Are we willing to make the effort to serve Him? Are we willing to make the effort to worship Him? There's a popular bumper sticker that you can see uh, from time to time on the backs of, of, of cars. It says, wise men still seek Him. That is, that is certainly true. If we will still seek Him today, if we will still make it our, our goal and our desire and, and to diligently and with great zeal vo- follow after Him, and certainly that will make us wise. And I hope that you will seek Him today as well, as the wise men did. The truth is, though, more people today still seek Him in the way that Herod did. You might think, well, wait a minute. Herod sought Him to kill Him. How, how can you say that people today are seeking Him in the way that Herod did? But you know, Herod started out by saying, I'm, I'm seeking Him to worship Him. And so often today we, we hear that. And Jesus would continue to say in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, there are going to be people... There are going to be people who are claiming to seek me, even to act under my name. And I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus was saying, there's going to be people who say, look at what we did in your name. We've, we cast out demons and, and we've done so much in your name. But they're going to be like Herod. Herod claimed that he wanted to come and to worship the Messiah, but he really didn't. What is our life going to say about us? Seek Him as the wise men did. Humble ourselves uh, towards Christ the King. Bow your thoughts and your desires to Him and worship Him. Show Him that He is worthy to be obeyed. And give Him what He deserves. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, what He deserves is our spiritual lives as a sacrifice. Can we assist you with that? Can we help you with that today? In the first century, we've already read in the book of Acts how they responded. When they learned who Christ was, when they learned what He had done for them, there was only one response that was given. Repent. Turn away from the life that you've been living. Turn towards God and be baptized for the remission of sins or so that you might have your sins washed away or forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit again. That was written to them, but He said it was written to all those who the Lord will call, even to this day. Our response must be the same. It must be the same as it was in the beginnings of the Lord's church. Have you sinned? Have you sinned or have you sinned in your life? Have you, have you told a lie? Have you had a, a thought about someone that, that maybe was filled with hate or, or maybe lust? And, you know, I, I asked that question, and, and I know the answer to that question. You need to know the answer to that question. Romans 3 tells us that all have sinned. But Romans 6, 23 tells us, that even though the cost of that sin is death, the punishment for that sin was death, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you like to respond to the gospel of Christ today? That gospel says that Christ came as a child, born of a virgin, walked a life free from sin, and gave His life up for the sins that I and you and the world have committed so that we might have a hope of eternal life with Him in heaven. And He gave that life up. That so for those who are in Him, those who are baptized into His blood, 
might be free from that consequence of death. I implore you this morning, if we can assist you in any way in coming to Him or continuing your walk with Him, please let it be known right now as we stand and as we sing.